Well, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you again here to AIC and uh, want to let you know that for the last six weeks, if you've been here, you've probably gotten in on one of the sermons where we've talked about awesome faith and what God's doing. We've been able to look at how different characters in the Bible responded in faith to God. I was warned that I would be the first ones to test out the lights. And I told them that if I had a little bit more warning, uh, instead of looking at Peter today, we'd be looking at Paul. And uh, we could just have the bright light shine and say, no, Lord. (laughs) Um, But we're going to stick with Peter uh, today. And uh, I do appreciate the people that are working on uh, improving things here so that uh, the services. Uh, you can see we, were, we have this challenge with the lights. We want a lot of light, but we don't want the light going on the screens. So uh, what God's doing here, thank you for, for what you're doing. But anyway, we've been looking at this awesome faith and what God's been doing through different people. And a lot of that has been um, um, given to us. It, it's actually outlined in the New Testament, in the Gospels, how Jesus worked with his disciples. And a resource that uh, Pastor Mike and several other leaders here in the church have used is called Four Chair Discipling. You may have heard of it before. I know that there's uh, a number of these books that have gone out uh, to the congregation. And uh, I have a couple more left. And uh, they will just get musty and old here in, uh, in my office. And uh, so if anybody wants one, um, see me afterwards. Uh, raise your hand now. I'll pass them out. But uh, uh, if you are going to read them, uh, you're welcome to them. And see what uh, the strategy is that we're trying to use here at AIC to make disciples. Now... This message is going to be sort of like a shoelace. You ever had a shoelace message before? So your shoelace kind of zigs and zags back and forth there, and it tries to pull everything together. And so that's what I'm going to try to do. This is the last of our Awesome Faith series. Try to pull things together and help us understand what we're doing. The first message, we looked at Andrew and how Andrew grew in his relationship with following Jesus Christ, and he grew and matured in through some sp- very specific stages where God grew him. This book calls them four chairs, or four stages of growth and discipleship. And so once we know these four stages, these four chairs, it helps us to understand where we individually need to grow, and it helps us to understand church leadership, how we can help people grow who are seated in the different chairs. And so we had um, just a number of people that we looked at. First of all was Andrew. In chair one, Andrew looked at the whole picture. In chair one, we had the Samaritan woman. And what we find Jesus doing with the Samaritan woman and other disciples as they are in this, in this chair is Jesus is saying, come and see. Just come and see who I am. See if you can, can uh, just understand me. Find out who I am. God doesn't want to hide. Jesus doesn't want to hide. He wants us to come and see him. That's why God sent Jesus to the earth. And so we find 
in a number of disciples' lives, but in the Samaritan, Samaritan's woman's life, as Jesus poses a number of questions, she goes from unbelief to belief. And she moves from chair one to chair two with that act of belief where she follows Jesus. We find that the town of Samaria is changed because of this woman. It's just amazing. The whole history of what had gone on had separated the Samaritans changed through this woman believing in Jesus. In chair two, we talked about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man, but he wanted to see Jesus. He was in that chair one where he was looking for Jesus. And he climbed up in a tree so that he could see him better. And Jesus called him out and said, Come, follow me. Chair two is the challenge to follow Jesus. Where is he going? What's he doing? Start following him. And we find that Zacchaeus made a transformation in his life from a tax collector who was cheating people to saying, I will repay. I will make it right. God changed his life. And so in chair three, we looked at Mary and Martha. And we saw how Mary and Martha were followers of Jesus but they were workers. They were willing to do the work of ministry. Their home was the center of what God was doing. God brought people into that home, and God used Mary and Martha to fish for people. Now, that was the challenge that Jesus gave to the fishermen who were with him. Chair three, the challenge is come and serve, um, fish for people, be a worker. uh, one who follows Jesus. And then last week we looked at Timothy. Timothy was an example of chair four. He was told to teach to faithful men who would teach to others with the idea of multiplication. Jesus' ministry is to be multiplied in our lives. And so if we take these four chair or four stage idea, we can trace it through just a number of people in the New Testament, and see how they came to be disciples. And what our goal is, is so that as a congregation, we can see that we need to grow. Now, I've heard it said, well, if I'm in chair two, how am I supposed to grow? How am I supposed to know what to do? And to be honest with you, you have a good point. Because chair two is much like a newborn child. Or a young child. And whose responsibility is it? It's the parent's responsibility to help feed and nurture that person, that child, as they grow. But I want to say, too, if you've been in chair two for a long time, if you've been a child for a long time, there are some opportunities and some things that you can do to also grow. Because we know that what a child needs in the early stages, are the kinds of things that we need as believers in Jesus. You see, children need to learn to do a few things, and it's outlined clearly in the Four Chairs book, as as well as in the New Testament. A new believer in, in chair two needs to learn how to walk with the Lord. A new believer needs to learn how to talk 
Pray with the Lord. Share what God's doing in their life. Walk. Talk. They need to learn to feed themselves. Because we don't expect someone after they're 15 years old to still be having the mushed up peas and applesauce. They need to feed themselves. They need to walk. They need to talk. Um, They need to feed. They need to learn how to clean themselves. Now the parents do that with the diapers, but you don't expect that to go on forever. And the last thing, walk, talk, feed, clean, is their identity. They need to know their identity in the family. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know our identity in Jesus Christ. And so what I want to challenge you to do is if... I, I, I. you know, I want to apologize if you never had someone to come alongside you from the moment you received Jesus Christ and to nurture you and grow. But I just challenge you to take every opportunity you can. If you say, I'm in cheer too, to learn how to walk, talk, feed, clean, and your identity in Jesus. Learn that through the messages. Learn it from God's Word. And we want to help you grow. Just like there are specific things in chair two, we find specific things in chair three. As you're moving from chair one to chair two to chair three, we find some very specific things. And one of the things that we find um, is it's really the core values that are in our AIC DNA. If you have a bulletin, I was going to tell you, you're going to need a few things. You're going to need your bulletin here. That's, a, that's okay. I, I uh, loaned mine out. Um, I know what's in there. On the, la- on the inside page, on the, on the last page, on the right column, it lists the AIC uh, core values. If you are in chair three, you should be maturing in each of these seven core values. Because you see, God doesn't want us to stop growing with Him. He wants it to be a continual thing. And so, take a look at these core values. Take a look at what it means to be a growing believer in the various areas that are mentioned there in these core values. It's a part of what we're about and it's what we want to do as a church so that we grow as disciples. Now, one of the things I want you to be sure to see, Jesus did not call us to sit and stagnate. He called us to grow. The normal, everyday characteristic of a believer and follower of Jesus Christ is someone who is maturing in their walk with Him. So take those opportunities. Use the things, the the characteristics of these different chairs to help you identify how you can get some help or see us um, for help. We'd love to give a mentor or start a class or form a group to help you grow from where you are to where God wants to take you. It will be a lifelong journey like we found out with the disciples and the various people that we're talking about in this awesome faith series. So, chair one is someone who is seeking Jesus. Chair two is someone who has come to see who he is and has been challenged um, to follow him. Chair three is to mature and to come and be a worker 
fish for people, and chair four is to multiply. Taking the characteristics that you're developing in your life from the core values, from the, from the Bible, and being able to multiply that in the lives of other people. You become a team leader. You become a group leader. You do ministry. You're multiplying and equipping other people so that God's work goes on. So that's kind of the review. That's the big picture of where we're going with this. And I want to look today at the person of Peter. We started with Andrew, so why not go on to his brother, his brother Peter. And we're going to look a little bit at Peter and how this idea of being a maturing disciple is found in the life of Peter. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for uh, we thank you for giving us the pattern, for sending Jesus, for Jesus walking through life here in ministry for three or three and a half years and giving us a model to follow. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to carefully do that. And so I thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what I want to do as we look at Peter is we have a more material on Peter than we did on Andrew. There are books of the Bible. There's First and Second Peter. We find Peter as a main character. Peter was a lot more outgoing, I think, than Andrew. And so um, Peter was involved in a lot of situations where Jesus commanded the disciples, and Peter was one of them. He commanded the disciples to do something. Remember, Peter came to follow Jesus. First of all, it was Andrew. Then Andrew brought his brother Peter. They loaned their boat to Jesus. Jesus called them out uh, to, to be one of the close followers of him. And so as Peter is going through this time with Jesus while they're walking the earth to, together, Peter hears Jesus just a number of times Tell them that he is to do something. Either Peter or the disciples are to do something. And I just have a few of them here for you. First of all, um, we get the interesting um, command from Jesus. It's found in John chapter 14. G uh, Peter has already walked with Jesus for a couple years. And Jesus says to Peter and the disciples, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Okay, what has Jesus been doing? What are some of the things that Jesus has done? Well, He's calmed a storm. Tremendous storm came up. The disciples thought they were going to die. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus heals people. Jesus raised Lazarus from death to life. And now look at this command that Jesus gives to the disciples, including Peter. And he says, do the things that I've been doing, and guess what? You're going to be doing even bigger things. Is that encouraging? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm going to be going places I never thought I was going to go before. What does Jesus mean by that? Another thing uh, very well known to us is the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, go and make disciples. 
Where are you going to do this? He's going to make disciples of all nations. Tells them how? By baptizing. By teaching. He's going to make disciples. So Peter's told that he's going to do greater things than Jesus did, and he is to go and make disciples. Hmm. How's this going to happen? Or one more thing uh, as far as how that works is the verses that are up here on the, the platform, I know they're hard to see, but Acts 1.8, it was the theme of our missions conference. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So these are the kinds of things that Peter has heard Jesus saying. And let me ask you, is it the kind of thing that you hear sitting in church? Yeah. These are the things that Jesus wants us to do, and Peter is commanded to do it. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 4. You're going to need your Bible. By the way, this is a, a relatively long passage. I tried to, to scale it down, but I, I need to give you the story, and I need you to see some things here in Acts chapter 4. So if you would get your Bible out, get your phone out. Um, I actually met someone yesterday who was memorizing Acts, the whole book of Acts. So if you have it memorized, that's fine. Um, just pull it out of your brain. <laughs> Acts chapter 4. Remember what Jesus told Peter to do. Let's see what Peter did. The priests and the captain of the temple guards, starting at verse 1, chapter 4, and the Sadducees came to Peter and John and, uh, when they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They seized Peter and John because, they, because it was evening. They put him in jail until the next day. They couldn't deal with it that day. They put him in jail overnight. Um, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. What are Peter and John doing here? They're sharing the good news about Jesus. If you read chapter 3, which happened just before this, you find that Peter and John healed someone who was crippled. I mean, this is just an awful, terrible thing that they're out doing. Okay? They, a person who was crippled, physically crippled, they, they healed him. But they were doing it in the name of Jesus, and that's what got them in trouble. Verse 5, the next day the, uh, they got them out of jail. The rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, all those people, um, they came and they asked him, verse 7, by what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is, Jesus is, the stone the builders rejected, and he has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to uh, given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. But they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have uh, done this outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, they warned these men, Peter and, and John, to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speak about the one we have heard. And what happens? They're released in chapter in verse 23. They're released. They go back to their people. They share the word of God. The Holy Spirit has worked through them. And they give the words of the father David, or their, their, uh, uh, their ancestor David. Why do the nations rage, the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one? Do you see what happened? If you look at the course of Jesus' life as he is discipling Peter, he tells them to do some pretty amazing things. And what does Peter do? Some pretty amazing things. <laughs> he tells about Jesus, but he heals, he and John, in the name of Jesus Christ, have this man healed who was crippled. Peter is doing what Jesus told him to do. We find him in verse 1, speaking to people. We find him in verse 2, teaching people. We find him several places in this passage, proclaiming the name of Jesus. In verse 9, he heals a cripple. And Peter displays a courage that he did not have before. But we find that he was just an ordinary man. What was Peter like before he went through the discipleship process with Jesus? Does he display this courage, this excitement about Jesus, this determination to go forward with what God tells him to do? Well, at the crucifixion, Peter is famous because he denied Jesus three times. This is just a couple months he denied, the crucifixion would have been just about two months or so before this happened. How, why did Peter change? And by the way, his denial was not to the, it wasn't to a Roman guard who had a big spear or a sword. He denied knowing Jesus before a servant girl. And then as Jesus said, when the rooster crows the third time, when the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. You know, Peter had a rather impetuous temperament. Impetuous means you couldn't always tell what he was going to do. When the, uh, the guards came to take Jesus uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the trial where it ended up with his crucifixion, Peter knew what he was going to do. He pulls the sword out, chops off the, uh, the uh, servant's ear. I don't sense that this was 
what Jesus was teaching. But Peter wanted to take it into his own hand, and Jesus miraculously healed this ear from what Peter did. And then, remember the time when the disciples were out on the boat and Jesus didn't go with them? The storm comes up, and Jesus comes walking across the water. Yeah, walking on top of the water. And the disciples were very fearful of this because people don't just walk on water. That does not happen. Now, when we were kids in America, we would say we could do that because the ice would freeze over. And uh, (laughs) it does not happen here in Hong Kong. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord... Call, tell me to get out of the boat and come and join you. So he does. Peter takes one step out of the boat. His eyes are on Jesus. And then he starts looking around. Down he goes. No life jackets. Jesus pulls him out. Do you see how Peter's life has changed from an impetuous, temperamental person who cowered before a servant woman and then he changes to this one who is almost fearless in the face of prison and persecution he did it because God changed him now I want to ask you a question and by the way this this will start some blanks on your paper so you might want to get your your notes out and, and take them. And, and this blank is for Pastor Mike. Okay, I, I had to at some time be able to work this word into a blank on a sermon. Did Peter, or for that matter, did Jesus turn into some kind of Superman that I can never become? That's not, that's not Batman, that's Superman, okay? <laughs> because how we answer this question determines a lot how we view discipleship with Jesus. Because if we have the idea that Peter somehow became Superman, God gave him the red cape, he got the S on his shirt, and all of a sudden he's able to do amazing things that I can't do. Then that changes a whole lot of how we look at Scripture. Because we can simply say, that was then, this is now. They did it then. I can't do it now. I am excused. When Jesus says to go and make disciples, when Jesus gives me a command to do, well, that was then. And this is now. Because I don't have the red cape. Or I don't have the S. But what about Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? Wasn't he Superman? Wasn't he able to do miraculous things because he's Superman? So when he commands me to do something greater than he did, he surely can't mean that he wants me to do something greater than he did. 
Well, you need to look at this, and I'd encourage you to, to, to look at Scripture because what we find in Scripture, a, a place to, to look would be um, uh, Philippians chapter 2, or look at the incarnation of Jesus at Christmas. And we find that how Jesus lived in Scripture is Jesus is fully God. At no point did He become not God. He was always God. He's part of God. He's part of the person of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That God the Son is Jesus. He's fully God and fully able to do anything. He has all the characteristics of God. But when He came to earth, He became fully man, fully human during that time. It hurt when He was on the cross. He had to eat food. And what we find is that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and when He was fully man, He chose not to use the God characteristics that made Him eternal. He was eternal. He always was. It was sort of like if you were given a credit card by someone, credit card, debit card, whatever, and your credit card was a super card. It had no limit to it, and you never had to pay the bill. You could do anything with your credit card. You could go walk into a store and you could buy anything, um, go down here to the uh, Mercedes dealer, you know, just pick up a couple cars for yourself, put it on my card because my card is fully paid for. But to live like everyone else in Hong Kong, you chose to keep the credit card in your pocket. And you chose to use the cash that you earned. And walk the streets and and buy your meals and buy your clothes just as a normal person in Hong Kong would. You see, what Jesus did is He came to earth with a super credit card. But He chose not to use it. He became a man, though fully God. And He lived He lived like a man during the time that He was here on earth. whole other sermon whole nother seminary class to, to get this. But look at it. Jesus chose not to live like Superman while He was here on this earth. So if Jesus was not Superman, how did He do the things that He did? How did He raise people from the dead? How did He do the miracles? How did He speak the words of knowledge? Well, I'd like to suggest that what we find in Scripture is that he used three very basic and very important ways to do the ministry that he did. You see, 40 times in Scripture we find Jesus in prayer. Jesus prayed to his Father. We find him praying at times before the crucifixion, before some significant teaching, before a number of things. Just look at the times when Jesus prayed. Jesus did what Jesus... How did Jesus do what Jesus did? He prayed. The second thing that we find is we find that Jesus relied on the Word of God. 
90 different times Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. Jesus knew the Word of God. He used the Word of God. The Word of God directed His very steps. And His times of prayer and His times of ministry were characterized by the Word of God. And the third thing that we find is that Jesus walked by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was present during Jesus' baptism. The Spirit was present throughout His ministry. The Spirit was present at His crucifixion. And so Jesus relied on three important resources to do what Jesus did. Prayer, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. So let's look again at what Peter did in Acts chapter 4. We find Peter healing a man who was crippled. What does Peter do? Is there prayer in this passage? Peter and the believers relied on prayer. They went to God in prayer. They lived their lives with prayer. We find two two times in this passage that we read, this short passage in Acts chapter 4, we find Peter relying on the Word of God. Peter used the Word of God. And in verse 8 and in verse 25, we find that the Holy Spirit is present while Peter is doing the ministry that he is doing. And so that brings me to the point of saying, how do we do the ministry that God calls us to? If we're in chair two, how do we grow? How do we feed ourselves? How do we clean? How do we talk? And if we're in chair three or chair four, how are we living out the core values that are expressed, uh, the, the values that are expressed in the core values of AIC? How do we do that? Well, I want to suggest a, a few options that we have. Number one, we can try to do it on our own power. Just work a little harder, stay up a little longer, promise to do a few more things. And you'll be tired. It may require that sometimes. Living for God isn't, isn't necessarily easy. But doing it only in that way, we'll just be tired. And we'll be doing it under our own strength. And you know what? No matter how strong I feel, I just know that I'm not going to be able to heal a cripple. So doing it on our own power won't work. Well, then we can just take the Superman theory of the Bible. I'm not Superman, so he's not talking to me. I can get myself off the hook. When Jesus says that he wants me to do something, I can just say, not me. I don't have the red cape. I can't do it. And what ends up happening is we don't experience the joy of being a servant of the Lord and serving fully in the power of the Holy Spirit and what God's called us to. What happens is we stay in chair two and we don't have the excitement of serving God with all that He has for us. 
And so I want to suggest something rather radical. If we're going to do what Jesus calls us to do, let's do it the way Jesus did it, or let's do it the way Peter did it. Now, you have your blanks on your, on your paper, and you've found out that the first one is prayer. The second one is the Word of God. And the third one is the Holy Spirit. What do you think, they, what do you think those blanks are this time? Prayer? The Word of God? The Holy Spirit? If it was good enough for Jesus and it's good enough for Peter, it's good enough for me. We need to have times of concerted prayer where we come to God and seek the throne of God to do God's work. Prayer says, it's not about me. It's about you, Lord. I want to do it your way. The Word of God, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, guides us where to go and how to live. Have you been in God's Word this week? Have you been discovering the things that are here in God's Word? Sometimes we wonder, well, why doesn't God tell me that? He wrote it down. God's Word wants us to understand who God is and how to live God's way. And then the Holy Spirit. We still have the Holy Spirit. Believers have the Holy Spirit living within us. And we can live by the Spirit and not by the flesh if we're indeed following God. And so I want to give that as the challenge. We've kind of gone a few places, but really to tie up the shoes here, keep the shoes tightly fit on our feet, we need this lesson to say, how can I be the disciple that God's calling me to be? We do it by walking God's way. We do it with prayer. We do it with the Word of God. We do it with the Holy Spirit. And we do it in faith, moving from chair one to chair two to chair three to chair four. And it's amazing what God will do. I look forward to the messages that are coming. If you looked in your bulletin, you saw Pastor Mike is going to be giving us some messages. Because I anticipate God is going to do mighty things with this congregation. We're moving to a new place. What does it look like? It sort of reminds me of build an ark. What's an ark? God's going to do great things for us. We need to be His disciples ready to go. And we need to be grounded in prayer, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. And so I just invite us as we go on this journey to walk with God, to be with Him, be challenged by Him, be in prayer, be in the Word, and have the Holy Spirit alive and active. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are. Lord, we've looked at six individuals in Scripture that walked with you, were challenged by you, and here we find someone actually doing what you said, but not in his own power. Peter fully recognized that it came from prayer with you, 
from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to walk in those same steps. We want to walk the way that Jesus calls us to walk as a disciple of Yours, constantly growing, constantly maturing in You. In Jesus' name, Amen.